welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. What a momentous day today is. Sepp Blatter at a press conference in Zurich yesterday afternoon. Yesterday afternoon, my time. Yesterday evening, Zurich time. Announced that he intends to step down as FIFA president as soon as a replacement can be elected via a extraordinary council. Now, there was immediate riotous celebration at the news that Sepp Blatter is resigning. I'm going to come to that in a second, but the news that he's resigning created an absolute party atmosphere on social media, among soccer fans all over the place. For a lot of us, Sepp Blatter is the face of evil. He makes noises like this. And he is just a terrible, terrible person. But the more important thing to consider after Sepp Blatter, again, announced his resignation, is what happens next. And that's, I think that's what today is about. Yesterday was about celebrating. And sure, I was with everybody else. I was partying it up. I was having a good old time celebrating the demise of Seb Blatter. But as we come back, as we come into the second day now, we're going to the first day and the aftermath of his decision or his statement, which he made in French, because that's what he does when he's pissed off at the English speaking people. When he's not happy with the Americans and the English, he speaks in French. What we should be doing today is is assessing what this means for FIFA, what this means for soccer. Because I'm not sure we know yet. I'm not sure that Seb Blatter isn't playing us on his way out the door. On today's program, Grant Wall, senior writer at Sports Illustrated, will join us to talk about these issues. We'll talk about the presidential candidates who will come up for possible election when FIFA gets around to this extraordinary Congress, which, according to everybody involved, probably isn't going to be December at the earliest and possibly as late as March. And if I check my, let me check my watch, it's June 2nd, 3rd, sorry, June 3rd, 2015. You can do the math how many months that is. So it's, a, it's a, not a short period of time. Subletter isn't resigning immediately. He didn't give up his position yesterday. He said, I will be laying down my mandate. And that a successor will be elected. He also said some other things of interest. We'll come to that. I'm going to come to that in a second. Let me just hit on a, a couple of interesting facts in the aftermath of this. Again, shocking news. And just to replay what happened yesterday. Because I imagine most of you are at work, probably minding your own business, doing whatever it is you do to make a living and feed your kids. Maybe you were able to partake of the FIFA stream. Maybe you were on Twitter and saw that something was going down. And you pulled it up. First of all, they announced it for 6 o'clock local time. That was noon Eastern. Then it got pushed back. Oh, that can be ready yet. It's be 12.30. About that time, we heard from reporters on the scene in Zurich. And there were only about a dozen people in the room. Because this was such a, an impromptu press conference no one expected to be called. We heard from reporters in Zurich that, well, originally Blatter was going to talk. But now he's not going to talk. And some other guys are going to talk. But maybe he will talk, and then they're not 
Who's who's talking? We'll take his. We're going to take uh, the name plates off the table, and who, what does that mean exactly? We finally said they finally said we're going to push it back to twelve forty-five, six forty-five local time, and that's when Sepp Blatter took the podium, and that's when he began, en français, to speak about his time at FIFA and how much he loved FIFA and how much he loved working with FIFA. And what the mandate of FIFA was, and what his mandate was, and how he didn't have the mandate of the football world anymore. And it slowly dawned on us. Trevor, it was what? About a minute in that you really started, you went, wait, what was it? What? What? Wait, what's happening here? And your heart started to beat a little bit faster, and you couldn't believe what you were hearing. Except Blatter's going to resign. It's amazing. Yesterday is one of those days you'll remember where you, if you're a soccer fan of any reasonable age, I'd say over the age of 12, you're going to remember where you were. You remember what you were doing. You remember what you were thinking when Sepp Blatter made his announcement. And again, is it a resignation? We'll come to that. That's some thoughts from a very interesting piece over at CNN this morning by Mark Deutsch that outlines how Blatter may be Maneuvering once again, even as he attempts to, uh, as he as he says he's walking out the door. Grant Wall will give us some insight into this. A couple other headlines this morning, as if anything else matters, but this stuff might. Well, first, uh, in relation to Sepp Blatter, Russia has issued a statement, host of the 2018 World Cup, and big Sepp Blatter fans. There are statements said that they highly respect Blatter and his decision to step down, and they recognized his quote-unquote enormous contributions to soccer. A man who is leaving in disgrace, yeah, let's, uh, let's recognize his enormous contribution. In Madrid, Rafa Benitez has signed a three-year deal to be Real Madrid manager introduced today. Big deal for Benitez. I'm not sure it's a big deal for Real Madrid. We'll see how long he lasts. There are three MLS games tonight. If you need a distraction, some actual soccer. D.C. United hosting the Chicago Fire. Philadelphia hosting Columbus. And Montreal hosting Vancouver in league action. And the New York Cosmos went to Havana, had a good old time, and beat the Cuban national team 4-1 yesterday. Saw the tail end of that match. The pitch was not that great. But otherwise, it seemed like a very uh, a very good trip for the Cosmos. A bridge-building trip between the United States, between the Cosmos, between NASL and the Cuban people. Raul played all 90 minutes, gave the fans a show. So good for him. And this may mean uh, something something moving forward here between the New York Cosmos and uh, and Cuba. Perhaps they'll use uh, perhaps they'll look to Cuba to uh, to build up some of the talent base there at the New York Cosmos. All right, let's step aside. Get ready for this. Grant Wall, Sports Illustrated, talking step ladder. What happens next? You're listening to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Facing the crowd. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. You know, if I was better prepared, I would have had like party songs ready queued up for today's program just because Sepp Blatter 
making that announcement yesterday in Zurich to talk about that and the fallout from the continuing FIFA scandal. Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated is on the line. It's been a while. Grant, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, I'm busy, and I imagine you are as well, and uh, there's a lot to talk about here. It's interesting when one story dominates all of our time for an expense. You know, the news cycle moves so quickly these days, Grant. You, you get done with something in 24 hours. This thing is started last Wednesday, and I don't know that we're going to see an end to it for a while. We probably won't, you know. I mean, this is uh, an ongoing investigation, and yet some things are moving extremely quickly, like Seth Blatter's resignation, where he went from being basically thumbing his nose at the U.S. Department of Justice last Friday to gravely resigning yesterday. So uh, you never know how quickly these things are going to go, but uh, it certainly looks like we're not going to get a, a new FIFA president uh, until at least December. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's an interesting part of this, that there's going to be uh, um a period uh, between this announcement by Blatter and and him actually being replaced, which means I assume he's going to be on the job in the interim. And I assume that this being said, Blatter, he's going to move chess pieces around in a way that he sees fit. Is this is this more? I mean, he's obviously leaving. He obviously could have sort of tried to serve a four a full four year term again after being reelected on on Friday, but. Is he still giving himself the opportunity to manipulate FIFA one more time on his way out the door? Well, he's trying to. He's trying to go out on his own terms and and have an influence over what comes next. And the question is, are we going to learn any more information in the coming days and weeks that prevents him from doing that? Because Sepp Blatter has not been in control uh, the last few days. And for him to try and act like he is in control of something is sort of amusing. I mean, he really did seem oblivious last week, uh, especially on Friday after the election, to what he was dealing with, with the the U.S. Department of Justice investigation targeting FIFA and him mm-hmm. for massive deep-seated corruption, uh, according to the Attorney General of the United States. So, uh you know, Seth Blatter's not going to be able to control every aspect of this and may not be able to control any aspects of this after uh, a while here. So that remains to be determined. What we do know is he's resigning. He's out. And so that's a huge, huge thing on its own, full stop. Uh, this is the most powerful man in sports, in my opinion, and he's, he's gone now, uh, or at least he's on the way out. Um, but it's also not cause to say everything is solved with FIFA because sure. – uh, you know, he's wanting this to, to be fixed now from the inside of FIFA heading into this, uh, this election of the new president in potentially December. And, you know, the whole place is, is corrupt and really does need a ton of reform. So, you know, it, there's a lot to be determined yet. It's not, you know, FIFA hasn't been fixed yet. No, certainly not. Now, this is the first time I can remember, I can recall, where Seth Blatter essentially is admitting defeat. And that's... Again, the the reason that there's so much celebration, but I I'm fascinated by the uh, by the duality of some of this stuff. Um, uh, granted, it's it's the the celebration by certain quarters of the of the soccer world, where other quarters may not be celebrating quite as much. Uh, it's it's part of the soccer world seeing FIFA as rife with corruption and uh, a needing overhaul, and and certainly that's that seems to be the correct take. And then there's part of the soccer world will tell you, well, FIFA's done a lot of good. And what is the, what's exactly the problem here? All of these things 
I think just indicate how difficult the 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 job of being in charge of the game across the globe and keeping everybody on board happens to be. Yeah, a couple of things I would say. One, the world soccer fans don't necessarily equal their national federation. Very true. Very true. So uh, that's been the huge disconnect over the years. We did a fun poll when I ran for FIFA president back in 2011 on SI.com where we asked all of the readers, and granted, most of those are in North America, but, you know, know, who would you vote for, Wall or Bladder? And, you know, I got 95%, and Bladder got like 1%. And it wasn't because of me. It was because everyone hated Bladder. And and so I do think even a lot of these countries that whose national associations voted for Bladder on Friday, uh, I think in probably the majority of those countries, the soccer fans are not Bladder people. They don't like them. And so, uh, unfortunately, they've not really been represented in previous FIFA elections because uh, how often, you know, how many of the world's national soccer federation presidents, you know, how did they get in power? You know, this isn't the soccer fans of the world making mm-hmm. the choice. It's very true. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's a, right now it's about Seb Blatter and celebrating his his stepping down, his being forced out. I mean, it certainly looks like he's being forced out based on the investigation. I think there's obviously still some hope that he goes down as part of uh, the the Justice Department's uh, probe into FIFA dealings. But I think that the pragmatic soccer fans should be wondering what comes next. And I don't just mean who's the next president. I mean what happens with FIFA. As you said, there's a long way to go here. What's uh, what's to prevent FIFA from electing one of their own and trudging along as if... Uh, Not that nothing has happened, but making the same sort of uh, useless gestures that they made in the past when it comes to corruption. Well, a little bit of this is is on Blatter, right? Because he announced yesterday that he's going to use his remaining time to push for all these things that he suddenly supports and and didn't in the past, like, uh, you know, the suggestions that the internal or the independent government governance committee had recommended that hadn't passed things like term limits on the FIFA president and all FIFA officials, uh, things like detailed background checks conducted by FIFA and not by the shady confederations, um, uh, all sorts of other reforms. And one, I think is important is they changed the rules for FIFA president in the last few years that made it so that no outsider candidate right. can actually run. Yeah, this, this, and that's a huge thing that isn't getting a lot of attention. Like, I would love to see an outsider, as would a lot of people, someone who's not a FIFA insider run for FIFA president and, and be the one who replaces Bladder in, say, December. But that's not even possible right, right now. Well, so, I, you, you, just, just, just to fill people in, I mean, what you're referring to is when you, when you ran for FIFA president back in 2011, you needed how many, how many federation nominations did you need? So at that time you needed just one. One. And now you need five. Now you need five. I mean that's 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 a, and and this happened at FIFA's Congress held just before the the Brazil World Cup, did it not? Correct. So, and that's even maybe more important. That's a big one. But also FIFA now has a rule that says you have to have been active in football right. for at least two of the past four years, I think four or five, uh, to to be a, a candidate for FIFA president. So they made it so that you have to be an insider. You yeah. have to be part of the system to even run for FIFA president. Now, that wasn't even the case four years ago. So I would certainly support a part of this reform that Blatter was talking about yesterday 
changing those rules so that you can have a true outsider run because uh, that's if you really want to see change in FIFA, you need someone that is a respected international leader uh, to come in and not just another soccer politician because right. that's what we're looking at right now. In fact, that's what the rules call for. You know, I was going to bring us to the the the, the candidates for president when FIFA does get around to electing a successor to Seb Blatter. But before we do that, I wonder if I could ask you if you think that the the better approach, and I don't even know who would who would be able to implement something like this. I mean, you'd have to get FIFA to sign off on it or some, some, you know, you'd have to get FIFA the body to agree to bringing in some sort of, um, you know, a, when we talk about a reformer, you can put one of those people in the presidential job, but if they're a FIFA insider, they're, they're just going to get pushed around. If you have somebody, you give somebody um, significant powers to reform FIFA, one, say one or two people, I don't, I don't know how that, that would happen, but, uh, you know, somebody mentioned a Kennesaw Mountain Landis type figure for FIFA. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that even, first of all, it's, is it possible? Second of all, would it be good? Well, uh, there is no chance for an outsider candidate right now, as you're just talking about, unless they, they change the statute. So based on the rules now, um, you're looking at the most likely scenario being Michelle Platini, yeah. who runs UEFA, which is, uh, you know, I, I would say he's better than Blatter, but he also voted for a Qatar World Cup. Uh, he's a soccer politician. Uh, Prince Ali bin Al Hussein can can say something that no one else can. He got 73 votes for FIFA president just a few days ago. So there's there's real value in that, and I do like a lot of his reform proposals, including supporting term limits um, for FIFA president and other offices uh, and and other suggestions. I like the fact that Prince Ali um, has done a lot for women's soccer in the Middle East and trying to get more uh, girls and women in that part of the world uh, the ability to play soccer and, and compete. Uh, I think they're going to have the Under-17 Women's World Cup there in Jordan next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's also not... Nobody's a 100%, you know perfect figure because you know, I'd like to know more about Prince Ali's feelings around a Qatar World Cup. I think he's probably not against it. Um, so, you know, like, no insider inside FIFA is going to be totally the right person, right? You know, there's no total white hats here. Right. Uh, and so, um, you know, you look at Senor Gulati, I think he's shown a lot of leadership this year and, and good for him. But, you know, for decades, he worked right alongside Jack Warner and, and Chuck Blazer, especially working in the same office and didn't really do anything about that. And, and, you know, whenever I say that, I also say I could have done more as a journalist to, to expose what was happening in our own backyard with CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. Then again, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what I'm, I'm imagining here is some sort of scenario where the soccer playing nations of the world say enough is enough. We're gonna we're we're gonna really we're gonna really take care of this problem now. We're not gonna drag this out over a couple of years. We're not going to uh, so slowly weed out the problems uh, in FIFA. We're going to take care of it all. We're gonna bring in one person, not as FIFA president, not even as an insider, but somebody who's given um, you know overarching powers to clean everything up over say six months and then leave or a year and then leave. 
Uh, you know, I've even heard Bill Clinton's name mentioned or no, Mitt Romney's name mentioned. Now, I don't think that's likely and I don't sure I want that necessarily, Grant. But that sort of thing does appeal to me on one level. Sure, it does. You know, any name you throw out there, there's going to be some people saying, well, Kofi Annan would be great. I think he would be great. You know, oh, but what about the U.N. oil for food scandal? Well, OK, but he wasn't in the end implicated. So. You know, there's uh, Christine Lagarde that I've seen mentioned. She's a, a widely respected um, kind of international stateswoman who's really smart from France who might be really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Bill Clinton, it would be fun as heck, uh, but from a, a global perspective, I think any American who might be suggested to move into this spot is going you know, to have some international resistance. Yes, right. Um, and so... It's it's fun to, to throw these names out there, but a lot would have to change within FIFA's rules for any outsider to come in. So um, I, I think you have a couple of processes here, right? You have the internal stuff going on at FIFA, and then you have the external stuff with the, the U.S. Department of Justice investigation, and importantly, the Swiss investigation, their governmental investigation into the bid for World Cup 18 and 22. And... What happens in those investigations could very well dictate what happens inside FIFA. That's certainly yeah. been the case over the last week. You know, I get asked, uh, you know, as I said to, to you before we came on the air, uh, everybody who knows anything about soccer in the U.S. is getting a lot of phone calls to do radio hits and TV hits and uh, web show hits because people want to talk about this. It's a big story. Um, and what I get asked uh, consistently, uh, Grant, is whether or not this means anything for the United States in, in, in a general sense and then specifically about 2026 and maybe getting the World Cup then. W- what's the knock-on effect for the U.S.? I mean, you mentioned Sunil Gulati as a potential presidential candidate. I imagine the anti-American backlash would prevent him from getting that job. But, you know, the United States is being looked at, you know, for, uh, because of our role, uh, because, of the, because of the country's role in the investigation. W- what is the ramifications of that? Well, if you look at the big picture here, uh, first off, the United States government and the FBI, Department of Justice, IRS investigation, these are the people who deserve a ton of credit, right? Because they're the ones whose hard work has caused this whole last week to happen. And soccer fans around the world are hailing Team America World Police right now. And, and that's a, that's a crazy thing. We're, we're, we're totally like Diego Maradona saying positive things about the U.S. government, and that's that's crazy to me. But in the big picture, the U.S. government has been the the force here that's caused all this cleanup to happen. The rest of the world never did it; they didn't do it. Um, you know, and now you're seeing the Swiss government working with them, and so that's all amazing and good and all that. Um, now, as for U.S. soccer. That's a different story, and, and, and I still think that Sunil Bellani has had shown very good leadership this year. He nominated Blatter's challenger publicly, taking on Blatter, months before these arrests took place. He didn't just wait until the arrest took place. So, and he's doing that at potential sacrifice of the U.S. hosting a World Cup down the line. And for years and years, it appeared to me that Sunil Galati's biggest priority, his, his holy grail, was getting the World Cup back to the U.S., and now it's not. You know, he said he still wants it to happen. It would be a, a, a huge thing, 
but he's saying it's more important to clean up FIFA. And so when you see leaders say things that are, you know, they're making a sacrifice, that's impressive. Um, given all that we talked about before, about how for a long time he kind of had his head in the sand about CONCACAF. Um, so that's kind of where he is right now. And, and will internally at FIFA, is this a risk? Hard to say. I mean, like, I, I think if, and these are the same people, the 209 national soccer associations around the world, these are the same people who voted Seth Blatter in again as president last Friday. So remember that. You know, now Blatter's asking them to vote in all these reforms to limit the, their terms in office, which that would be interesting. Um, and these are the same 209 associations who are now going to vote in 2017 for the World Cup 26 host. Um, so whether that's the United States is a very big question right now. And, and if we're just talking about internal stuff at FIFA, um, you know, I don't know if the U.S. can win that election. Well, and, and therein lies some of the question of whether or not FIFA gets cleaned up and certainly along what timeline they get cleaned up, considering some of those influences. And, and there's been some discussion as well, Grant, about the the democratic nature uh, of, of FIFA FIFA's voting processes. Obviously, some things are to the executive committee. Some things are left to the entire voting body. And in the, pres- in the case of the presidential election, it's, it's all 209 federations. Um, the one country, one vote thing, where, where do you fall on this? I mean, certainly... You know, UEFA's num- throwing their weight around. They're none too happy. You know, you look at a country like the U.S. or, or even uh, Brazil or, or Argentina, you imagine they should have more more say, and yet that's not how FIFA works. Well, let's talk about all this. These are, it's, they're really complicated issues, right? Because, you know, I graduated away with a political science degree. Um, you know, really finding solutions for, for all this is not something that you can say in sound bites. Um, you know, the idea of one country, one vote is sort of democratic, you know, and, and I like that to an extent, but these tiny countries have way too much influence in, in FIFA, and yet at the same time, it's a system that has delivered some positives as far as soccer development around the world, even as a lot of the pockets have probably been lined with some of that money. Um, so... I've seen different proposals out there. Um, you know, that one that uh, representation in FIFA, your vote should be proportional to the number of registered players you have in your country. I think that was a New York Times column. And that would give countries an incentive to register more players, especially women. Uh, and, and that would be a good thing, certainly. Uh, you could also see countries, you know, probably being corrupt and registering dead people, you know? So, I mean, like, certainly there's, like, complications to any solution. Um, I like that idea, though, because, uh, not just because the U.S. would have more influence in FIFA, because, you know, bigger soccer countries around the world would have more influence. Um, But, you know, realistically, could that even happen? And and that's where, I don't even know if that's possible. Um, You know, maybe more possible is to have uh, kind of a, a one country, one vote situation for FIFA presidential elections and World Cups, and then a, a Security Council type, a UN Security Council type, you know, executive committee, which actually really does reflect uh, the way the UN Security Council does the mm-hmm. big powers in the world, like mm-hmm. a small group uh, that has a big influence on things. 
You know, that's um, that's an interesting idea. Uh, clearly, England would have a place at that table, and yet England can uh, seems intent on pissing off as many people in Europe as they possibly can and, and isolating themselves even further. And, and I, I respect Greg Dyke for being willing to say what a lot of people think, Grant, but I, I wonder if he's going... I mean, this is he's sort of taking the opposite tact of Sino Galati. I mean, Galati said, I'm going to get on the, you know, I'm going to go into FIFA. I'm going to become an executive committee member. I'll work for reform from the inside. Whereas the English FA and, and Greg Dyke have stood on the outside and yelled at, at everybody. Is that, is, where do you see England right now fitting into the process of reforming FIFA and the, and how much of a role can they play moving forward if they have made so many enemies? It's certainly tough for England to have a ton of influence uh, on any internal FIFA reform process. And maybe the best thing to say is, yeah, I certainly admire England's stand that they took to abstain and not vote for Blatter, who was the only candidate in that 2011 election in the end. The U.S. ended up voting for Blatter. There's a few things going on there. What sort of message does that send? In my opinion, on its own, that's a good message for England to take that stand. And it was a bad message for the U.S. and Galati to vote for Blatter. Uh, However, Senor Galati would argue that that helped him retain influence inside FIFA um, and that right now he has more power inside FIFA to actually enact some of these reforms. So I understand both sides of the equation. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a matter of when you're really trying to fix this place, you know, you have to, at this point, you sort of do have to do it internally. Uh, and now you've got these outside forces, the U.S. Department of Justice investigation, they're certainly exerting a huge influence as well. Uh, and so maybe, you know, the best way to view it is you're, you're attacking it from, from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly right now, the lot is better positioned than anyone from the English FA to to change things inside FIFA. It's very interesting times. I mean, I, I think so. what's so fascinating here is that there are so many different directions that this could go, Grant. Now, up until Blatter's decision to step aside and in, in, in the announcement yesterday, I wondered if it was legitimately, legitimately possible for UEFA to pull, um, to pull away from FIFA, perhaps run their own tournament outside of the, the European Championships. Obviously, Russia might not come with them. And there were rumors that, that certain Western European countries did vote for Blatter, perhaps as a, a, an expedient uh, to keeping some influence themselves. Um, but is that, do you think that's still on the table? Where does, if Platini becomes, becomes the uh, president, I suppose that's completely, uh, completely gone as a possibility. But I just wonder if we are headed towards some sort of splinter uh, between European powers, the big soccer countries, and, and maybe everybody else. That seems actually less likely to happen now than it did 24, 48 hours ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and for a number of reasons. Uh, in part because now, if you're Michelle Platini, you're probably thinking, should I run for FIFA president now? Is now the time for me? Because for most people, Platini was the guy that everyone was saying, like, this guy's going to be FIFA president someday. He's been opposing Blatter. He didn't run against Blatter in this most recent election because he thought he wasn't going to win. Um, and he has this position at the top of UEFA that is a, you know, a very powerful position in its own right. Uh, but if you're Platini and seeing the events of the last 24 hours, I'm, I'm sure um, 
if we're looking at all the, the possible candidates out there right now, he, to me, seems like the, the, the kind of guy that would be the favorite to, to become FIFA president in December. Um, you know, Prince Ali has those 73 votes going for him, but if you had, you know, if you were stacking up Prince Ali versus Platini, one is a much bigger figure in world you know, soccer politics than the other in his team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It remains to be seen. Um, the ultimate fallout from the FIFA scandal is, I imagine we're not done uh, in terms of the FBI investigation and what uh, Loretta Lynch will have for us, Grant. And, and she's become quite the figure in all of this. Um, I, I don't know what to, to ask you specifically about Loretta Lynch's <laughs> role, but she's, uh, she's become a celebrity around the world in a way that I don't know that she ever imagined she would. Yeah, she's a hero here, and it's uh, it's great. I mean, like this isn't something that she just got attached to. She's been, you know, she was the U.S. District Attorney in Brooklyn when the investigation started. She's been a, you know, overseeing this. Now, is she the one doing the day-to-day stuff with it? No, uh, but she certainly earned the right to be seen as a very, very powerful, impressive figure last week at that press conference. And announcing at that time, this is a corrupt organization we're targeting. And even if Seth Ladder didn't quite figure that out until the last couple of days, what that really meant, um, it was just uh, something that I think the rest of the world and the soccer fans around the world have been totally impressed with this woman who they didn't really know much about. Mm-hmm. And seeing that a, you know, this is a minority woman in a tremendous, with a tremendous amount of power who's leading this investigation. And... Uh, I think that's a great thing for people around the world to see. It makes the United States look good. It's so interesting. Uh, lots to talk about how the U.S. is the country that finally stood up and did something about FIFA, obviously. Uh, Loretta, Loretta Lynch and the Justice Department had enough of uh, all this happening in the backyard uh, of the U.S. and through the U.S. banks. It's Sepp, uh, Sepp Blatter stepping down as, as FIFA president. We'll see what the ultimate fallout is from that. It's Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated. Grant, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming back on the show, man. My pleasure. Take care. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, get your thoughts on the ouster of Sepp Blatter. It is Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. That's right. I'm rocking party in the USA. We're here on a Wednesday morning, Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Taking your phone calls, 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. Who's your next FIFA president? Give me, your, your, give me a candidate nobody else has suggested yet. Seriously, who do you want? Let's go ahead and listen to this a little bit. <laughs> I'll go ahead and get rid of that. Uh, keep them coming. Let's go to Al in Missouri. He wants to talk about Sep. Seppi Poo. What's up, Al? Hey, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm I'm, ex- I'm excellent, man. It's a, it's a good day to talk some soccer. What's going on with you? 
Well, you know, there is a positive, the fact that, you know, Seth Blatter is gone. He's been very corrupt. You know, I, I almost think he's just as bad as Roger could, worse than Roger could tell. But anyway, there are going to be some negatives um, with him stepping out as well because, you know, a lot of African nations, you know, backed, you know, Seth Blatter. And I thought that the 2010 World Cup in South Africa was a huge success. Mm-hmm and everything else. And you have to wonder if we get a new um, FIFA president and everything else, will South Africa or any developing countries like Nigeria or Ghana, will they ever be able to host a World Cup, whether it's from the FIFA under-20? It's a big question. Al, it's a big question. It's certainly something that those those countries are looking at as, as FIFA looks forward to a new president. As the powers, as, as the power dynamics of the of the organization shift now, with with Sepp Blatter announcing that he's going to step away, those countries are very cognizant of their place at the table. And if you are going to uh, potentially limit their say or keep them from being a a full participant in the world's game, they're going to have a problem with that. And exactly. I I don't blame them either, Al. I mean, it it is a it's a it's a sort of a tricky balance between. Deferring to the big well, last night. To, go ahead. Last night on um, ESPN FC, the, the name that got mentioned that kind of raised my eyebrows. I forgot the gentleman's name. He's from Syrian. His name has popped up as a possible as a possible person to replace Seth Blatter, and I think having him in there. I forgot the gentleman's name, by the way. They, they mentioned him on um, ESPN FC. Very familiar because um, I follow soccer a lot, but. He could be a guy that could, you know, step in and maybe try to bridge the gap between some of them European um, nations and the African nations or third world nations and everything else. Some, you know, just try to ease tension between the two. I, yeah, I suppose. You, you definitely need a bridge builder here, right? I mean, you need somebody who uh, can bring along both elements of, of this. Uh, I got to move on. Well, I appreciate the phone call. Look, I th- I I know that 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 Grant Wall said that Platini or Platini is is his best bet, but Platini is going to piss a lot of people off, and he's not much different than Sepp Blatter. And he, I mean, for 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 us, for people who believe the Qatari World Cup bid was probably corrupt and it shouldn't have gone there in the first place, he's the one that backed that bid the hardest. It's it's it, it's tricky. What's up, Ray? Hey, uh, I think that uh, in history that there's really hasn't been a clean bid ever. So um, I think it's been corrupt for a very long time. But from a historical perspective, in 30 years from now, uh, if Japan, South Africa, and Brazil get another World Cup in that time frame, are we going to be looking at Seth Blatter from a different perspective? Say, say that again. One more time. Now, in 30 years from now, let's say Japan... South Africa and Brazil all host another World Cup within their time frame, or are rewarded a World Cup in their time I frame. I are see. we going to be looking at Seth Blatter from a different perspective? I see. Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, certainly you don't want to see some sort of circuit here that um, that is only going to big, influential, rich countries. That's not what you want to see. Unless, I mean, the problem with the World Cup, Ray, is that the thing costs a lot of money, and rather than 
rather than than, re, than than compensate those countries, now there's some money given to the countries for organizing, but rather than compensate those countries, FIFA just takes and builds up their own bankroll. And so you have White Elephants. I know that the World Cup in 2010 did a lot of good for South Africa, but you have White Elephant stadiums that are sitting there rotting that cost millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. The same thing in Brazil. In countries that cannot afford to do it this way, cannot afford to be wasting that money, FIFA, because of the power of the game, because they can essentially get what they want when they come in and give a World Cup to somebody, then they they suffer. I, I it's it's tricky, Ray. It's tricky. I, right. I, think, I think you're right that that Sepp Blatter might be seen differently by history, uh, in addition to his leadership of a corrupt organization. But I hope it's not because those tournaments end up going to the same four countries all all the time. Well, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I just don't want it to be the, like the Gold Cup, you know, always here. Yeah, no, I see what you're no. saying. I see what you're saying. Appreciate the call, Ray. Got lots of calls moving, uh, moving through here. Let's uh, let's talk to our, our boy Roberto in Connecticut. What's up, Roberto? I'm just waiting for the Jason David Trevor Haywood campaign for FIFA president. No, not gonna happen. I don't want that job. I don't, I don't want that job. <laughs> Trevor Haywood for FIFA president. I can get behind though. Absolutely. I saw a couple of those on Twitter. Trevor will take it. Trevor will take the job. So let's uh, let's get that going. What else, Roberto? What's up? Um, yeah, I just um I just have some questions. Do you feel that maybe Figo would be the right choice for FIFA president? I uh, you know, he doesn't He's got a name, he's got a reputation, he's obviously a great pl- uh, you know, he was a great player. I, I don't think he's you know, I don't think he's dirty in any sense. But does he have does he have any experience at all, sort of at this? I'm I'm not saying that, that that he needs to have direct soccer experience, because we're going to talk about some candidates here. People are are throwing out names like, uh, like I said, Mitt Romney, like uh, Clarence Seedorf. But that that's a play. That's a guy who knows soccer, who a very smart guy, Mike Ashley. Okay, thank you, Shandy. I don't think that's happening. Uh, this is a couple, Bill Clinton. Obviously, I mentioned that's the kind. Of, you need you need an authority figure. Who can't? Who's not going to be pushed around? And I, I don't know that I have the feeling that that Figo's the type of guy to stand up to all the pressures that that exist within FIFA right now. Uh, well, but he was a former player as well. No, I realize that, and that's definitely an asset for him. But I, I don't know. I, I, I guess, I guess, I don't know enough about Luis Figo the person, Luis Figo the leader, to say whether or not he'd be a good a candidate for it. Uh, all right, uh, fair enough. And um, just my second question is. What do you believe are the key factors for both Juventus and Barcelona to win the Champions League final this Saturday? Juventus has to stop that trio of amazing attacking players. I mean, if you can, I don't know, you're not going to keep them all quiet, so you better pick one to shut down or pick two to shut down. I think uh, Suarez is probably the guy that I would key, you know, that I'd be not worried most about because Messi's the better player. But Suarez can do, can create some opportunities for Barcelona they don't get otherwise in the way that they play. But I, I just don't see Juventus winning this game. You got anything else? Yeah, well, no, no, no. Just hope for right. an entertaining final. Well, I mean, do you? Well, I mean, do you, how do you see it playing out? Because we, we're not even talking about it today, and I apologize. It's it is three days away. What do you? How do you see it playing out? No, you, I basically you just yeah, you just hit it in the nail right there. All right. I right. appreciate the call, Roberto. I'm going to move on. We've got a lot yeah, of guys coming in. Let's uh, let's talk to our friend uh, Tim in Brooklyn. What's up, Tim? Hey, what's up, man? Wow! Wow! Yeah. Hey, uh, I have no idea who um, should be uh, FIFA president, but uh, uh, two things um, 
that I would love to see is perhaps a veto power of like a, a, a an Overwatch committee of uh, the countries who have say you know won the World Cup uh, somehow to to have an, an a, a overlook you know say that you know nominate from them a player and 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 that's a big thing too having more players involved sure um, and the other thing um, is that one. One problem that, that seems to come up is, is this idea that Seth had of, you know, um, developing the game and really, you know, pushing it, and that's good, but you're pushing countries into a position of, of grabbing for the money and, and grabbing for something that is really beyond them, uh, and, and that's where you get the white elephants. And mm-hmm. while it's good to, to develop the game in these countries, it's it's uh, putting it in a backward situation. If, if you want to develop the game in these countries, you need to develop it first before they get the World Cup. Sure, but uh, we're, we're talking about so some, we're talking about some have... different elements, Tim. We're, we're talking about developing. There are countries that will never, ever, 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 ever host a World Cup where the game is being developed. That those are the those are the people that are that essentially have oversized power, the countries that you. But you're, I understand what you're saying. With, but when a country like, in a country like Qatar, there's not going to be a World Cup anywhere else in the in the Middle East. And I, I've discussed this on this show, and it's been a, a couple years now. But it seems like I've asked the question of: Is it fair to eliminate an entire region? Because of weather, because of of geography, because of their history with the game, if they're willing to put forth a bid, if they're willing to spend the money, I mean, I'm not saying that that Cutter deserves a World Cup or should have gotten the 2022 World Cup. I just think it's interesting question to wonder if we're going to just eliminate large swaths of the world from ever having the tournament. I, I life isn't fair. Uh, that's okay. I, I don't. Right. I, I don't think you can jeopardize the game. Um. To, to try and be nice. Um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful idea. But you can't jeopardize the game. And there's way, you know, and, and you know, it's just something you got to live with. But there are places where you could, you know, work to develop the game. But it needs to happen before they actually make the bid. They need, they need to just follow their, their guidelines. They threw out, all of the guidelines with Qatar, they didn't read any of them. Yeah, no, you're you right. To, you know, you're right. Uh, you Absolutely. need to have the cities. You need to have the infrastructure to a certain point before you can make the bid. You need to have some uh, uh, more of the cities, eighty percent say or something before they threw all that out. Okay. I mean, yeah, no, you're and right. You're right. And and, and some I, way to get rid of these white elephants. The, yeah. the giant stadium in Brazil is going to be a parking lot. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I got to move on. I got a lot of guys. Thanks, man. man. Appreciate it. New York is green. All right. (laughs) New York is green. Havana right now as well. Uh, Rick in Philly, what's up? Uh, Hey, Jason. You know, um, ultimately, I think the next FIFA president is going to wind up spending four years dealing with lawsuits, subpoenas, records, requests, and attempting to shore up FIFA's reputation and social position in a lot of places. So I think you need sort of a transitional figure who's going to handle that, serve one term, and then get out, then allow for 
you know, a new visionary in terms of what FIFA is going to look like going forward. I would go with somebody like Alexandra Rodney. Okay. Give me a background here. I'm missing something. Uh, she, ser- she served on the, uh, under Mark Pike in the uh, ah, right. uh, ethics committee. Uh, she resigned in protest because he was accepting money and because uh, the reports were being expurgated. Um, she works for Transparency International. She has a worldwide reputation okay. for openness and helping major corporations and multinationals uh, become more transparent and adopt more ethical procedures in the way that they operate, particularly yeah, I, in the third world and particularly regarding development in that area. I do think that you need somebody who has built their career outside of the game. I think that I think you need that. I think that yeah. you need somebody... I mean, if if we had a time machine and we could go back and get Robert McNamara or Robert Moses, that's the guy you need. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we operate in the world we're in now. Yeah, unfortunately. Appreciate the call, Rick. You got anything else you want to tip in before I let you go? Uh, I'm just that I'm happier about Aaron Davidson getting invited than Sepp Blatter, but I'm weird. Well, we'll so, see. Other yeah, than you, that, I'm good. You are. You, re- <laughs> you like Dutch football too much. You definitely are uh, weird. Let's go to Richard in Philly. What's up, Richard? Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm good. What's on your mind today? Uh, changing the subject. Summer friendlies. Um, I'm a union fan, and yesterday they announced Bournemouth is going to be the friendly, and I'm one of the many social media people going, this is the worst pick for a friendly ever. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm all for trophies over friendlies, but I'm all for tro- trophies over friendlies, but you're telling me there wasn't a better team that we could have paid, they could have paid money to, to be all friendly? You pick a team for the championship? I mean, come on. Well, like they, I, there's no one going to show to that game. Uh, you know, I do, let's let's give the union credit for being consistent. They have a reputation for being a pretty cheap team, and yeah, this one, this definitely sounds like they're being a little cheap if they're bringing in Bournemouth. Like all our friend, our friendlies have digressed over the years. Like our last, like we went from Manchester United in 2010 to about Everton, Stoke. Aston Villa, Crystal Palace last year, and now Bournemouth. It's like you could. There's no. We couldn't get a, like a Tottenham. It or is even a, better than those. A lot of people saying we couldn't get an Italian team like like AC Milan or Inter. And, and I know it's it's. I'm trophies over friendlies, but it these things are status symbols. If you could get a Barcelona to play a, a LA Galaxy or a Chelsea to play Red Bull, that's a big deal. Sure. To bring in the casual fan. What casual fan knows Bournemouth? No, no one knows. Well, a couple of things here. Number one, Bournemouth is going to be a, champ- a Premier League team next year. So there is that to consider. I don't know that that, I know, that makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah. But they did they did, did earn promotion. And Trevor is asking if if Nick Sakevich has a connection to Bournemouth on some level. Something he may maybe has an interest in Bournemouth. Yeah, he know. does. Yeah, so so there you go. It's he a does, yeah. He, it's he a was, pre-existing relationship. There, yeah. So and I, this is their. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It, go ahead. I'll say that they said that Philadelphia is going to be their training center for the summer, and, and yeah, the business makes sense. All this, but it's like, like I said, these are status symbols. We can't get if we can't get like a big name to come over. It's a big deal. Like no one, no one shows up to this game. No one's going to show up to this game, and then they're going to beg people to paper paper the stadium. Yeah, you know, Richard, um, you're, you're the union aren't a big club, and and as far as I can tell, they're never going to be a big club the way that they're operating. I mean, I I, I had to, I think Philadelphia. Yeah. I think Philadelphia has all the makings of a big club in MLS, but the way that the club has been run, mm-hmm. the fact that Sugarman's pulled back on some of the investment, which I, I believe is based on. Hey, you just don't have as much money as you used to. 
They had to finance the they had to finance the um, franchise fee. Sakevich is involved monetarily and means that means you're never getting him out of there. Um, I, I just and, and you know yeah. I just think that for whatever reason Philadelphia is going to settle into this mid lower le- level. In fact, I I believe I I once wrote that they were a lower middle class team, and that's what you're going to be. You're going to be a lower middle class team in MLS. Yeah. And the unfortunately, best, I, I hate to agree with you. As a union fan, I hate that. But unfortunately, that's we, I, that's what's going to happen yeah. to us. The the best you can hope for. I got to let you go, Richard. But the best you can hope for is that the union scramble together a decent team every now and then, make the playoffs as a four or five six seed, and uh, can make a run and maybe pull a Colorado Rapids. I think MLS has changed significantly since the Rapids won a title. Hopefully, it has. But that's what you got to hope for. Let's go to Landon in Salt Lake. What's up? Jason, I am ecstatic this morning. You know why? Because for the first time in the longest time, I'm not going to be a cynical soccer fan today. For years and years, I've been told that you know, FIFA's corrupt, there's nothing we can do about it. And then last week, we had the breakdown of you know, all the all officials getting, getting indicted, but Seth Blatter wasn't there. And people told me all weekend long that Blatter's too smart, he's getting out of the thing, he's not getting caught. And then when I, yesterday, like, my life changed when I heard that he was caught. I know there's changed. all these other things going on. Huh? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I love this. No, I no. This. Oh, no. So yesterday here, all, all this stuff going on, you know, even though Seth Butter's caught, you know, there's, there's other things going on. I said, you know what? Forget it. For 24 hours, I'm just going to take a break. I'm not going to be cynical. I am just going to bask in the fact that something actually happened and changed. Uh, I, I know there's so many other things else, but it's like just taking that time, I, I feel it's going to heal my soul a little bit to be able to actually believe that something is actually changing. To not be cynical for 24 hours is going to be huge for me. That's it. Hey, you know what? I dig it, Landon. I, maybe I'm not capable of it. I think I tried a little bit. I, maybe I'm not capable, partly because of my job. I mean, partly because I'm here and I, oh, oh. I have to. But, oh, I get it. But, but, but no, no, no. Try for, it, for, Jason. For, like, for even fan. for like three or four hours. Just try it. See <laughs> that, if you can do it this, this man, evening. Did just you sit not, back and don't even think about all the bad stuff. Just step ladder. He's gone. Things are happening. Did you not Did you not hear me just play Party in the USA on this show? Oh, uh, no. Then that, that's the reason I called in. Because you, know, you played that and that's, that's when I made that decision. You can make, you know, that, that's how I'm going to feel today. Because my whole day is going to be a Party in the USA day. There you go. Landed in Salt Lake with a nice little idea. That's, that's what you do. You take today, you yeah. celebrate the demise. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, there's other topics I'd bring up, but I don't even want to talk about anything negative because that's all I can think about right now. So I just want to leave that with you, Jason. Just, right. just party it up today. There you just, go. just try and enjoy it as much as you can. That's all party. Sep is out. Party up, Landon. So we're going to your house, Landon. You better have some chips and dip, man. Coming over. Sounds good. All right, bye, Landon. Sounds good. There goes, Thanks, bud. There goes Landon in Salt Lake. He wants to party, guys. Robert in L.A., do you want to party, too? Yes, I do. Well, that's a great news. That was a great phone call. So what's on your mind today, Robert? Hey, I want to talk about, uh, you know, I called you uh, last week, uh, or maybe I think it was two weeks ago. It was about the Fox's choice for the U.S. League commentator for the Women's World Cup, and it was J.B. Del Camera. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you watched, he commentated on yesterday's game of the Cuba against the New York Cosmos, and it was extremely Boring. He was like he was like a golf commentator, whispering, not very excited for like when the goals. And I say like he's like on an even like a car stuck in first gear. And I'm just worried about this because he. I just don't understand what everyone sees and what what makes him so great. Because I was also watching him um, uh, the Women's World Cup 1999. It was on Fox, so I was just watching it, and it was the exact same thing. 
Slow, you're so dull, mean. and there's a 16 year difference. You're so mean, Robert. You're so, and you're such a one. You're such a one issue soccer guy. I love this. You are no, so no, consistent. I'm not. No, how many times have you called this show, Robert? And your your issue has been commentators. How many times? So many. Well, it's either the it's either the commentators or the shots of the coaches, right? So maybe you go back and forth, but it's always television related somehow. <laughs> well, it just as well. It just I. I, I know you said don't, uh, don't expect him to be perfect. I just want him to be. I just expect him to be good. All right. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm all for excitement. And is it because he was the first one, and he really didn't have like we we never had like anyone to compare him compare him with? I think that maybe. But now we have a. New, I think but now we have a, a newer generation of like American commentators, like uh, yeah, John Strong. Yeah. I think that I think that JP is really old school. I think maybe his his style developed at a time where there weren't a lot of role models for him, and if there were, they were English. And I think it's tough. Uh, you know, I think. It's well, I don't want to use the English model. It's just that he he does a lot of repeating himself. Like every ten minutes, he'll tell you the score line. He'll tell you. He'll act like you can't see the game. But like that's if but it's that's on, but on Robert, radio. Robert, it'll be like Robert. The USA is in blue. Robert. Mexico is in green. You uh, USA is in white. Robert. Uh, China's Robert. in red. Or Robert. Uh, Robert. Uh, Robert. Yes. Robert. That is that you're supposed to do. You're taught to do that. Here's something. Here's some. Here's some inside. Some inside baseball behind the scenes stuff for the for soccer morning that I'll let you guys in on. So I've been doing this show for two years. I've been podcasting for much longer than that. But I have no traditional radio training. No one ever sat me down and said, "This is how you do a radio show," and "This is how you do a soccer or a sports show." No one's ever done that with me. So when I made the when I made the move over to SiriusXM, we started that show last month. I asked. I had to ask some questions. And I had to be told to do things that regular broadcasters take for granted. You learn. It becomes habit to do what's called a reset. That's all he's doing. He's doing a reset. That's for anybody who's tuning in not at the start of the game. In the middle of the, in the, middle of the game, at various points in the game, and he's probably got a producer in his ears saying reset. He's going to say the score. He's going to say who's who. He's going to give you, he's going to reset the scene. He's going to say, we're live from Havana, Cuba. The New York Cosmos in green taking on the Cuban national team in red. Four goals have been scored by the Cosmos. One of them by blah, 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 blah. That is broadcasting 101, Robert. That, you can't blame him for that. Okay, I, just, I feel he does it a lot more than anyone else. <laughs> so harsh, man. You're so hard. What's I'm not being hard. I, I really, I really want to give him a chance. It just, it makes it hard when I he talks. He, he does a lot of the scoreboard and while the game's going on. Okay, but that's again, that's just part of it, Robert. I gotta let you. I got other people jumping in, but but I I I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I'm not saying that JP Della Camera is the greatest soccer broadcaster of all time, but he is a pretty damn good broadcaster. And I can't deal with the hate. Washington in New York. What's going on? Hey, what's up, Jason? How's it going? I'm all fired Uh, up. I got a a question for you, and then I I have a suggestion for FIFA president. My first question is, um, I'm not sure if if, uh, Blatter already resigned or if he's announced his intent to resign. If he's already resigned or when he does actually resign, what is the line of succession? Like, who who takes over and, and, and runs things until they elect a new president? He's going to be in charge. He's going to still be there until they elect a new president. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I thought that was the answer, and that's the stupidest thing. Well, I've this ever is heard. this is why I question 
This is why I question people. And look, I'm okay with celebrating for for a day, making a big deal out of this. He certainly was pushed to this decision by everything that's swirling around FIFA. But I'm gonna be. I want to be careful about super about celebrating this as the end of some era in FIFA and everything's gonna be great. And just wait, just you wait until we get all cleaned up because he didn't resign. He's got six to eight months on the job left. He's going to be moving pieces around internally. He's already. There's an article. I'm gonna. Re, I'm gonna recommend this. And I'm certainly going to carry this over when I when I make when I when I switch shows because I just don't have a lot of time today. I haven't had a lot of time on this show to address it. This is from CNN. I already mentioned this from Michael Doige, D O I D G E. It was posted today and it essentially outlines how you know what we might be getting played by Seth Blatter here on some level. He talks about the uh, the term limits now and he's talking about changing the executive committee now and making it. You know, this is a situation where he's going to mold FIFA into what he wants it to be as he leaves the stage. And there's always a possibility he's made honorary president for life and maintains an influence. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, listen, um, I, I heard what you had said earlier about FIFA president, and it needs to be somebody who's made their career outside the game, and I completely agree with you. I also heard what one of your callers said about we need to, if we could go back in time and get like a Robert Moses esque type person, we, we, we should do that. I have the perfect person that fits both those criteria. Call me crazy. We need somebody who can run a uh, public agency that has experience in private enterprise and I honestly think that that person even though I ha he does have issues but I really think Michael Bloomberg is the guy for that job interesting I mean certainly you can uh, it would be difficult to imagine Michael Bloomberg taking a kickback wouldn't it uh, yeah you're right so I don't, I don't know that's, that's an interesting suggestion uh, while I have you Washington before I move on to Vince and wrap up the show have you heard the Pirlo stuff I'm sorry you, have you heard about this Pirlo stuff I, I heard a little scuttlebutt here and there. It's picking up steam, I'm trying, my when it comes to that stuff, I'm trying not to get too excited about anything because I, I, I haven't let down before. Well, okay, let's just imagine that it's real. Would it be good for the NYCFC? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Appreciate the call, Washington, man. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. There you go. Uh, so there goes uh, Washington in New York. Let's talk to uh, our boy Vince in Toronto to close out a Wednesday program. What's up, Vince? Oh, hey, Jason. How's it going? Oh, hey, Vince. Yo, you know, I can't, I can't get behind anybody criticizing JP Della Camera or John Strong, for that matter. You know, especially, you know, when we watch uh, Univision Deportes and, 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 you know, get to experience that, like, terrible English commentary. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Well, look, I mean, it's all relative. He's got a high standard, my boy Robert in L.A., and I get it. He wants, he wants the passion of the game to come through the television. I think that's a good that's a good thing to want. I just don't know that you should be criticizing somebody who does an excellent job of of what he's supposed to do, conveying the action of the on the field, and and keeping people engaged and informed. That's what that's what JP's job is, and he does a good job at it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, you know, to get to my point, Jason, um, we all know we all know the, the biggest news that dropped yesterday was the, was the Canada World Cup qualifiers. You know, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Um, <laughs> And, and the big news is uh, Tesho Akindale is now is now uh, going to play for Canada. I like it. And you know people were were going crazy here uh, um, because you know we are, we are a desperate bunch. But um, 
it, it's it's interesting because a lot of because there, there are a lot of like not I don't want to say right wing Canadians, but very staunch patriotic Canadians who uh, don't want Tesho because he accepted a call up to the U.S. January camp. And I understand their point of view, you know, it's, it's, you know, good for them, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinions. Um, but I, I don't know, and I feel like, I, I get the feeling this is how a lot of Americans feel about, about you know, the, not just the German Americans, but any dual nationals. It doesn't really matter how a guy gets, you know, to, you know, your national team. It's whether or not when they do play for your national team, they give that 100% every game. Yeah, so, uh, first of all, so let, me just, let me just review here. Some Canadians don't want Tesho because he's tainted now by his U.S. Uh, association. Is that right? That, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Basically, and, yeah. And, and you're suggesting that maybe there's some Americans who feel the same way about some of the dual internationals we have. I don't know that that's true. You know, I don't know that's true. I mean, there maybe. There, I remember during the are. World Cup, there, there are a lot, Jason, who, who you know, were pissed off that Julian Green you know, took Landon Donovan's spot and things of that nature. But that's or that not... a lot of, and then, you know, you got some Americans who will be like, oh, well, you know, they weren't good enough for Germany, so they're settling for the U.S. But well, you know, a, you know, that, my point is just that I don't really care about where a guy comes from. Is that if he if he works his ass off for the team, that's, that's all I really care sure. about. Well, again, I'm, I have a I have a sort of a pragmatic viewpoint on this. If they if they want to play for my country and they're eligible, I'll take them. Again, yeah, they have to put forth the effort. Um, I don't necessarily need them to be the most patriotic people in the world because I understand that sometimes these decisions are made based on what's best for their careers. And you know, I would love for. Fabian Johnson to feel like the most American guy in the world. I don't know if he does. I don't. I don't. It doesn't matter to me right now because he's been good for my team, and I think that for Canada, certainly can't, beggars can't be choosers for Canada. Vince. No, absolutely. I mean, Tasha Akindale is is going to be a huge get for us, and you know, we 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 sorely need him. I know people want really want Ethan Finley to also suit up for Canada, and I think a few American journalists pointed out, you know. Klinsman really should take a look at Ethan because he's, he's been fantastic for the Columbus crew and he's quickly becoming one of the best wingers in MLS and Klinsman keeps ignoring him and people will, you know, are, are you know, scratching their heads. How is Miguel Ibarra getting called up over a guy like Ethan Finley? And you know, I, no one knows what, Klinsman, what goes through his mind because Jurgen Klinsman's mind is a bag full of cats. But um, you know, Ethan Finley is American born and bred. The only connection he has to Canada is, is through his father and you know, I'm not going to fault the guy for not playing for us especially if he does feel, you know, quote-unquote American. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a happy day here in Canada. I mean, obviously the bladder news is, is, is happy. Everybody here is happy. But, um, you know, for, for you know, a country that for so long, you know, and many times it's going to keep happening, getting spurned by players, you know, get, getting one player to join in. It's, it's, a, it's a very warm and fuzzy feeling. Uh, that's good. I'm happy for you. I think Tesho is going to be um, a good international for Canada. I think this is the right decision for him as well. I kind of wish we could go back and, and convince Teal Bunbury to play for Canada as well, Vince, um, considering the way that things have played out for him. Uh, he, I, I imagine you'd like a Teal Bunbury the way he's playing these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bunbury, like, he came out and he said he wanted to play for Canada, and then he accepted, I believe, a U23 call-up from the U.S., but he gave, his, his father gave an interview, and his father, Alex Bunbury, is one of the greatest Canadian players of all time and a very, you know, had a very distinguished career. He gave an interview uh, where he basically said that Bunbury never, or Teal, never wanted really to play for Canada because he was raised in the United States. He was born in Hamilton, uh, but then he moved to Europe, and then he moved to the U.S. after his father you know, came to play in Major League Soccer uh, during the early days. 
Um, and he only played for Canada because he felt like that's what his father would want him to do. And then one day he just had a discussion. He had a talk with his father and he told him, listen, I, I don't feel Canadian. I don't really want to represent the Canadian national team. And, you know, that's that. And I mean, you know, this goes without saying about how his international careers turned out, but at the end of the day, the guy, his heart was never really there. And I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, and who knows what would have happened had he stayed with Canada. And, you know, we we can't really make that judgment because it didn't, it, you know, it didn't work out in the end. No, this is true. Um, in the end, uh, we'll see what happens with, uh, with Tesho as well. Vince from Toronto, appreciate the phone call, man. Yeah, take care, Jason. You didn't want to talk about Seb Ladder at all. Like, we're partying here, people. It's a party in the USA. I'm just going to play this song over and over and over again until Trevor takes me off the air. <laughs> kidding we're going to wrap up this edition of soccer morning here on worldsoccertalk.com buy a backheel.com slash store mug buy a soccer morning mug at backheel.com slash store all right that's distracting me uh go to three nilfc.com to buy a t-shirt uh thank you very much for everybody who has um done so done that already go go get one take take it out in public take pictures of it uh you know do all that cool stuff uh, go get a backheel.com slash store. There's a lot of other t-shirts, including the, the Chuck Blazer t-shirt, with his, which is very timely right now. There's an Andrea Pirlo t-shirt. Speaking of Andrea Pirlo and NYCFC, all you NYCFC fans, you need to go out and buy a, an Andrea Pirlo t-shirt because he's probably coming. I mean, the way things look, he's probably coming, I guess. I don't know. Uh, thanks a lot to Grant Wall for joining us today on the program. It's always good to talk to him. Trevor, is, um, am I missing anything? We out? We out? Seth Bladder's out. We're out. Everybody's out. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Peace.